Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy, the podcast that empowers you to transform life's challenges into opportunities for personal growth and healthier relationships. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. As experienced therapists with backgrounds in addressing trauma and mental health disorders, we believe there is hope and there certainly is healing. We've spent our lives supporting people through the ups and downs, and we want to share these insights with you. Together, we'll unravel the layers of personal growth healing from trauma, and building healthy relationships. Each week, we'll bring you engaging conversations, expert insights, and practical strategies to help you heal from the past, foster healthy communication, and develop enduring love. This podcast is your guide to transforming adversity into triumph, healing wounds and past trauma, gaining wisdom and insight, and creating meaningful, fulfilling connections. So if you're here to heal, to better understand yourself or your relationships, you're in the right place. So sit back, get comfortable, bring your trauma and your drama, and let's start healing. Welcome Welcome to to Mr. and Mrs. Mrs. Therapy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us today. We've been in a series now where we were talking about anxiety, and we know that anxiety plagues so many people And so you're likely very familiar with anxiety, whether through someone around you experiencing it or even experiencing it yourself. And so in the first episode of the series, we talked about the diagnostic criteria of anxiety and what that looks like clinically. And in the last episode, we talked about differential diagnosis that anxiety shows up as. So other diagnoses that also have anxiety as a symptom. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about how does anxiety impact your daily life? So this is how it impacts you physically, emotionally, how it impacts you cognitively or your thoughts, the impact it has on relationships, as well as on your work and productivity, and finally, how it disrupts your sleep and also how it may affect you avoiding situations or isolating yourself because of experiencing this anxiety. And as you're listening to today's episode, if there's someone that comes to mind that you think this would be so helpful, we would love for you to just forward this episode to them because we really do want to help people and impact their lives with this information. So let's jump into today's episode. So jumping in, one of the first things that we're going to talk about today are some of the physical impacts that you're going to experience when you have regular anxiety. So two things to be aware of is when you're regularly experiencing anxiety, your body is gonna release cortisol and adrenaline. And when these two things are regularly released into your body, it's going to affect how you're feeling on a regular basis. You almost run into this idea of what's called a feedback loop, where if you're feeling anxious, your body's releasing this cortisol and adrenaline, but that cortisol and adrenaline kind of keeps fueling that feeling or that sensation of being anxious. One of the things that's important to know is that cortisol is oftentimes labeled as the stress hormone because it's often released when you're feeling stressed. So one thing that's important to know is that cortisol is a regular part of our body's functioning, but we're not supposed to have prolonged exposure to it. That prolonged exposure to that regular release of cortisol is indication that you're not functioning in a healthy way. Same thing with adrenaline. Adrenaline is a good thing to have when you need it. If you're in some type of competition or there's some type of life-threatening event, that adrenaline increases your heart rate, elevates your blood pressure, boosts your energy supplies. It's getting you ready to act in the moment. But when you're feeling that adrenaline all the time, It's going to make you more irritable, have a harder time engaging in social situations, and it's going to negatively affect just your mood in general. 
And so knowing that it's kind of a two-sided battle when you're struggling with anxiety, where not only are you having these negative and worrying thoughts, but your body is also releasing chemicals and hormones into your body that actually increase the feeling or sensation of agitation from a physical level. And having chronic activation of these stress responses can lead to health problems like high blood pressure, weakened immune system, and gastrointestinal issues. So when people are feeling anxiety, it really isn't just limited to a feeling. There's multiple other physiological effects that are taking place when you're in an anxious state. So we've talked about in the past about the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn responses. But when you're having chronic stress, this leads to prolonged activation of the sympathetic nervous system, which governs your fight or flight response. And so what that does is it suppresses the parasympathetic nervous system, and that's responsible for the body's rest and recovery functions. So it's almost like you're always in this state of fight or flight. You're always on high alert. And then it's almost like what Tim said before about the feedback loop. Your body is constantly in the state, and then it now causes your body to struggle to achieve the state of relaxation and repair, which you really need to help calm your system down. And so a lot of times those who are experiencing anxiety are always on this heightened, they're always worried, right? You see them as hyper alert, and then that increases those stress hormones that Tim was talking about. And then a lot of those physical symptoms and sicknesses and illnesses that happen are now increased. And I'm sure you've heard that there are a lot of times people go to the hospital because they feel like they're having a heart attack or they feel like something is wrong and they get sent home saying, you know, we can't find anything wrong, that it's probably anxiety. And so that weight of anxiety and that pressure can be so significant in your body where you're physically concerned that there are health issues going on, then that causes anxiety, right? Going to the hospital and feeling like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong. Am I having a heart attack? That then increases that level of anxiety and then builds on that. And so sometimes having anxiety and having those panic attacks and not really recognizing the cues can then increase that worry and cause a lot of fear. And so it is important to be able to recognize how anxiety shows up for you because if we don't catch it fast enough, it just escalates and escalates. And so that goes right into our next point, which is the emotional toll that anxiety can take on you. And a lot of times it can just feel like an emotional roller coaster, right? Even that example that I just gave of going to the hospital so sure that you're having a heart attack or that something else is wrong, and then them sending you home saying it's just anxiety, that can cause a lot of fear or worry like, no, there's something else wrong especially if you haven't experienced that level of anxiety or panic before. And I think an important thing to be aware of this is you are having a real physiological sensation, but the origin or the cause of that is psychological. Right, and that really is that mind-body connection that we have to take into account. So it's not just that you're crazy, you're imagining it in your head. There is something happening, but they're not going to find any other cause because it was just produced psychologically. And so some other emotional effects that you can really feel if you are struggling with anxiety, especially on a consistent basis, it can really take a toll on your self-confidence, right? Feeling inadequate or doubting yourself. So one of the things that I think goes along with why does this negatively affect your self-esteem and confidence or give you a sense of self-doubt is when you're in this anxious state, your body's basically thinking that it's in kind of a life and death situation and it wants you to be very careful about how you proceed. 
And so when you think about a course of action, your brain gives you a way that that could go wrong or makes you concerned about that to slow you down, to take time to consider what is the action that I'm going to choose. But that self-doubt or that indecision actually, unfortunately, a lot of times does lead to poor outcomes. And so anxiety can be really exhausting, right? It affects you emotionally because it's exhausting to constantly overthink things and constantly being on high alert and constantly being worried about things. And so it will cause you to be totally exhausted emotionally and physically. The next thing that you may struggle with if you have anxiety are cognitive effects. One of those things is what's called cognitive distortions. So cognitive distortion is a biased or irrational way of thinking that can contribute to our negative emotions. And when we get stuck in this pattern of cognitive distortions, being aware that these thought processes are going to feel very accurate and true, but they are not actually connected with what reality is. And so the hard part of these cognitive distortions is that emotional push towards them being true, but then that rational idea of, hey, these aren't actually true, doesn't have that same power that the emotional push towards those cognitive distortions do have. Just a quick example of what some of these cognitive distortions are is all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking. And what this is, is viewing situations in only two categories instead of a continuum or shades of gray, that it's either all good or it's all bad. Or overgeneralization is another example. And in this one, you make a generalized conclusion based on a single event. I failed this test. I'm going to fail every test after that. Now, logically, obviously, you can look at that and say, there's no way that's true. But that's the idea is that these cognitive distortions are not based in reality. They're based in our emotional state of mind. And when you're struggling with these cognitive distortions, it's going to continue to emphasize and reinforce that state or that feeling of anxiety that you're struggling with. And also, if you just think of some of the examples that I gave you there, especially the overgeneralization one, it's going to definitely affect how you're experiencing your everyday life and your decisions that you're making. So if you think that I'm going to fail every test, then it's going to cause you to not even bother studying. Because why would I spend the time to study if I know already that I'm going to fail? But then also when you behave that way, you're also crafting that reality. You're causing that thing to become more and more true, even though on its face, logically, it's not a true statement. The next area that anxiety impacts is relationships. And I think this is in two different ways. I think the first way that it impacts relationships is the person experiencing anxiety it becomes really difficult for them to even form relationships and create new relationships because their anxiety causes such fear of rejection or judgment. And so they hesitate to even create or form new relationships. And the second way is that anxiety can affect relationships that are already established. So it affects them and makes it difficult for them to maintain it. And it strains relationships. And so one example of this is Someone with anxiety who is constantly worried, okay, where am I at with that person? Are we still friends? Is my husband upset with me? Am I irritating him? So they begin to seek excessive reassurance to help to calm some of that anxiety, right? So they constantly ask, are we okay? And so some of that reassurance then causes irritation or strain. And so maybe a relationship that is pretty solid or strong becomes frustrated or irritated and so then the relationship kind of becomes imbalanced because that person is having to constantly assure the other person that, hey, we are okay, or to help them calm and manage that anxiety. I think the opposite is also true. If you're feeling very anxious, instead of seeking reassurance, your brain can be looking for 
why am I feeling anxious? And identifying a lot of your partner's behaviors as problematic and then blaming them a lot for how you feel. Because your brain doesn't do well with an unanswered question. If you're feeling anxious and you're not sure why, it's going to try to identify the reason for it. And a lot of times it will misdiagnose what the problem is. And so sometimes your partner can get stuck in the crosshairs and blamed for your feeling of anxiety when they may not actually be the original source of your anxiety. The next thing we're going to talk about is work and productivity. One of the things to be aware about is when you're feeling anxious, and we've talked about this in other episodes, but that when you're feeling that sense of anxiety, your prefrontal cortex, the front part of your brain, which is your logical processing centers, is shut down. And another part of your brain, your amygdala, your emotional processing centers, that portion of your brain is running the show. And so when you're trying to be productive or to focus or to recall information, but you're feeling this constant steady sense of anxiety, you're not able to access that information because it's stored in that prefrontal cortex. So when you're sitting at your desk and trying to work and trying to focus, your mind constantly is drifting off to these anxiety points or to just even just sitting there and feeling this sense of worry. Of course, that's going to make it very difficult for you to focus on the task and to finish that task. Or if you're in the middle of a presentation and you practice and practice and practice and you're trying to give that presentation, but you're feeling that sense of worry or anxiety and your mind goes blank. Well, the reason for that isn't because you forgot that information. It's still stored in your mind. It's just in the part of your mind that's turned off at that moment. Because to your brain and your body, the things that you're trying to focus on are trivial compared to what it thinks it's dealing with, which is a physical safety issue. Now, you're not really dealing with that physical safety issue, but that really is why your focus and productivity can really take a hit. Because your brain is like, hey, there's a more important thing I need to be paying attention to over here, and I'm going to shut off this part so that I can really focus on this other aspect over here. Another thing that's very hard for people to work with who are struggling with anxiety is criticism. And again, if they're already in this kind of feeling and sense of, I'm in danger, this fight or flight type of state, then when somebody criticizes them, they're going to take it much more harshly. Oh, see, now I'm in danger with this person. I'm not safe with this person. They're criticizing me. And a good example of this would be something like a six month or an annual review or something like that at work. And they're going through this checklist of 100 things and there's 99 things that they said you did good on and one thing they said you could improve on. And then you walk out of that meeting and you're like, oh my gosh, they ripped me a new one. They obliterated me. They, they hate me. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to lose my job. And a part of that is, again, you're hyper-focusing on that one single point of criticism, but not recognizing how much that they really actually praised you for because your brain is looking for the danger. The next area that anxiety affects is sleep. And oh boy, does it affect sleep. And this is a major complaint that people who struggle with anxiety experience. A lot of times, people experience this anxiety when they're trying to go to sleep and they just have these racing thoughts, right? Maybe they're so busy throughout the day and they are feeling this anxiety throughout the day. But then at night, when everything else is quieted in the house, their mind just lights up and all of these racing thoughts and all of their fears and worries are just running through their mind. And so it makes it really difficult for them to sleep. And I think a lot of the day for people who are feeling anxious, their activities involve them trying to avoid confronting those feelings. But then when you're laying down to go to bed, there's now no avoidance of that. You're forced to confront those anxious thoughts. But one of the difficult things is that when you just let it mull around in your brain, as opposed to trying to talk about out loud or journaling or something along those lines, your brain gets stuck in this cycle. You may think A, then B, then C, then D, and feel like you're making progress, 
But then what you'll find is you'll cycle back to thought A, and then you go back to B, C, D, and you just kind of keep cycling through that without coming to any type of resolution or conclusion. But those continuing cycles of the same thoughts over and over again keep the anxiety going and then keep you awake at night. And I think this plays into all the other things we've already talked about. When you have lack of sleep and you are just exhausted and tired all the time, then you're not going to be as productive at work. And then you might have a shorter fuse and that'll impact your relationships. And then it impacts you physically. And then you might be more emotional because of the lack of sleep. And so this disruption of sleep really does impact all the other areas of life. But those with anxiety struggle with sleep. So the last area that we're going to talk about today that anxiety affects your life in is social isolation and avoidance. So one of the things that's very common for people who are struggling with anxiety is that they tend to avoid social situations. And I think a part of it is when you're in social situations, you're constantly trying to read people and engage with people. And especially if you're feeling anxious, you're going to be constantly second guessing. Oh, I said this. How did they react to that? And you're going to be constantly worried about what they're thinking about you or how they're going to react to it. And so that definitely sounds like an exhausting endeavor and doesn't sound like a very fun thing to engage into. So of course, if you're feeling that way or you experience that when you're going to these social settings, you're going to start going to them less and less because they're not enjoyable and they just bring about what feels like even more stress as a result of that general anxiety that you're feeling. And this is very related to that impact on relationships, right? Where I said one of the ways that impacts relationships is you not wanting to go out there and create or form relationships. And so this really does lead into that avoidance and isolation because you're so fearful of that judgment and you're constantly worried and this anxiety and these scripts are running through your mind. And so you're not even putting yourself out there. But it could also be because of that exhaustion you're feeling because you're constantly having this, this anxiety and it's causing this exhaustion that creating new friendships or relationships is exhausting to you. And then if you're in that isolated state for too long, then going out and meeting new people or being in social settings feels so foreign to you that the less and less that you do that, the scarier and scarier it becomes. And I think also that the avoidance also perpetuates the problem because then you're not actually confronting it. And I think one thing that's important to note about the fears that we have is that the majority of the time, especially if you're an anxious person, is that they're normally not going to be as bad as you imagine them to be. So when you're constantly avoiding confronting these fears, you're perpetuating that state of anxiety. And if you're waiting for a time to confront your fears when you're feeling more stable or in a better spot, the problem with doing that is the more you kick that can down the road, the less and less likely it becomes that you're in a comfortable or stable enough spot to deal with it. So as much as this is maybe unwanted advice as far as how to deal with it, you've got to confront those fears now because if you can confront them now, you can mitigate all of the future anxiety that that current fear would cause you to have from the point you confront it all the way for the rest of your life. But the longer you avoid that fear, the longer you're perpetuating that concern and that anxiety that's coming from that fear. We read this book series to our kids called The Green Ember, and we really enjoyed it as a family. But one of the quotes that I love the most from that series is, I regret many things I've done, he said. But most of all, I regret those moments when I said to fear, you are my master. Yeah, I think that's such a good quote. And that part about fear being your master is so applicable because when you're struggling with anxiety, that really is what's going on is that 
Fear is your master, and it's guiding and telling you what to do. And the only way to help yourself not be subservient to that master is to fight and to go against it and to confront those fears. And again, what I said before is a lot of times when you confront those fears, they're much less scary than you initially anticipated them being. And so then they lose their power and they lose their mastery over you. So today we talked about a lot of different ways that anxiety affects your daily life. And in the next episode, we're going to jump into what are ways that we can manage and overcome this anxiety. So make sure that you tune in to that episode. All right, you guys, have a great day. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode and found it helpful. If so, would you take 30 seconds and share it with a friend? Also, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It lights us up to know that this podcast is helping you. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group. Just click the link in the description below. Although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. If you are struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or feeling hopeless or suicidal, you are not alone. Help is available. Please seek professional help or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988. Thank you again for joining us on Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. Remember, there's always hope and there's always help.